Isn't it a beautiful, beautiful name? Could not be more thrilled that you are with us today, Church of the Red Door, and guests that may be here for the first time. I'm going to ask you a question. Well, for, I'll tell you what let's do. Let me pray first. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are in desperate need to hear from you. Maybe people watching on television or watching on the internet or, or may not even know that you exist, may feel that, in fact, you, there is no creator, that we are a blind product of chance. Lord, I pray that you would intervene, invade our lives, and let us know of the reality of who you are. Only the Spirit can do that. It is a gift. Faith is a gift. But God, give us the clear eye today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you a question before, maybe you are not yet a follower of Jesus. All this is a collection, this is a coming together of followers of Jesus, and people who may be interested in following Jesus, or people who get drug here by someone who said, you have to go to church, you can't come and hang out in the desert with me for a week. Maybe that's you today, I hope not, but I will tell you this, have you ever asked the question, Lord, I'll believe, but you need to show me a sign. You got to show me something. I, I just can't believe into this, you know, maybe you think this is fairy tales kind of stuff. I need a sign. You know, it wasn't that big. A, it wasn't that different during the time of Jesus. In fact, the Jewish leaders, uh, ostensibly the ones with all the, the sign posts that were pointing to the one coming Messiah, they were having a very hard time embracing Jesus, and uh, well, let's get into the text. Luke chapter 11, how does Jesus respond to that? And then how would that apply to us in the 21st century? Is this relevant to us, or is this just a squabble between Jesus and some religious leaders? I think uh, we're going to uh, study a few places in Israel's history, and I think it'll maybe give you an insight into why you're on the planet and be helpful in, in your walk with Jesus, your first-hand experience walk with Jesus, not going to church, your walk with Jesus, are you right? Luke chapter 11, verse 29, if you have your Bibles, or if not, you can look up here on the screen. As the crowds were increasing, and trust me, they were increasing, Jesus began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. What a start, what an opening. This is not how you open up a public discourse, right? This is a wicked and perverse generation but certainly grabbed their attention. Why? Because it seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. Now, you say, Jonah? Wasn't that the guy that, that got eaten by the fish and then got thrown up on the land, and then I don't even know what happened after that? A lot of people think that's the, that's the children's tale, right? That's the little fairy tale, like a mother goose kind of a thing. Isn't that what that is? And then Jesus is saying, that's the sign? Fish? Or the sign? What's the sign? Well, the sign in an overarching sense will be that, that Jonah was swallowed by a fish and after three days in the belly of the whale was, was coughed up on the land. I used a different word in the first service, which I regret, but coughed up on the land. And, uh, and, and now he was supposed to go to preach some people. Well, how's that a sign? Well, Jesus was three days in the earth. Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale. And then and then out he came. So there's no question about it. The primary purpose of that as a sign was the resurrection. And that's, that we'll be celebrating here uh, just in another month or so. so. But let me tell you, there are many other signs that are involved in this, and that's what I want to get into. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Strap yourself in. Wake up your neighbor. Don't let them put their feet up too high. Here we go. Here we go. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. And then he adds another story. 
the queen of the south, or some of you may have heard, the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and will condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So you got to understand something greater than Solomon is here, something greater than Jonah is here. What's where's Jesus going with this? And then in somewhat of a strange turn of events, because sometimes it's very difficult to follow Jesus. He seems like he has these non sequiturs, right? He, he says something and then he, it's like he just starts a whole other conversation. And yet if you go deeper, and that's what we're going to do this morning, you'll, you will understand where he's going with this next portion. Verse Verse 33, no one after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on the lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. Now, this is going to be some kind of labored language uh, uh, in terms of understanding. It's strange language anyway. The eye is the lamp of your body, and when your eye is clear, the whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. Now, that's perceived light. Obviously, darkness is just the absence of light. But when the light that is in you, I think what Jesus is saying, when you perceive that you have all the light, but your eye is bad, it's just darkness. If, therefore, your whole body is full of light, with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. Where is Jesus going with this? Why the metaphor of light in the context of these signs, and why does he say, signs, you want signs? I'll give you the sign. Well, here's the sign. Jonah's your only sign. That's the only sign you're going to get. But there's more to it, and then he adds to it than the Queen of Sheba, and it's kind of like, well, where is he going with all this? You've got to understand, Jesus claimed to be the light of the world. John chapter 8, behold, I am the light of the world. Well, were they seeing light? Isaiah over and over sees light. There's going to be a great light. We talk about it every Christmas time, right? There's going to be a great light that's going to come out of the north, the Galilee part. And, and it, those who dwelled in darkness are going to see a great light. And of course, Jesus is claiming to be that light. Isaiah 42 that I now want to look at real quickly. We're going to go into a little bit more depth here, but I, it's going to give you the second super sign. And I think the real sign, and, I, and I'll look right here in the camera, I'll tell you too, if you came upon this and you're, you're, you're of Jewish uh, uh, descent, and, and let me just tell you, there is a super sign here hid, hidden in plain view in light of Isaiah 42, verse 1. This is about Jesus. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. And he's going to bring forth justice to the nations. Now, let me ask you a question. Who from... Who in the world would it be if not Jesus? I, I talked. We talked to our Israeli friends last week that were here, right? Uh, who, if not Jesus, who? If not, then when? When is this going to happen? When is this servant going to be a light to the nations that brings justice to the nations? When's this going to happen? Well, for and now, not only that, a different qualifier here, but he, but he will not cry out or raise his voice. In other words, there's great humility going here. This is not going to be a Putin-esque type of a movement here. There's not going to be dropping bombs, and you can hear him <laughs> say, I'm sorry, that, Lord, I don't need that. That's a little bit over the top, Lord, but it's all, it's all up to you. But this is not a Putin-esque kind of a thing here. This is going to be, why? 
And he's not going to cry out. You won't hear his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice, humility. Zechariah saw him coming in mounted on a donkey, not a steed with all of his troops, a willingness to lay down his own life. This is what Isaiah was seeing. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for him and his law. Now, let me be clear here. This is exactly what we're going to see with the Queen of Sheba. See, Solomon played a figurative type of a role, a predictive role of the king of the universe. Uh, Solomon sat on the throne of David, but Jesus is going to be the ultimate finale to the throne of David. He's going to sit on the throne of David, as the prophets saw, forever and ever. Solomon, clearly a flawed man. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I'm going to hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. It always, and you hear me talk about this a lot because it's so profound. It is to me the super sign. Yes, the resurrection is the sign, but the super sign of all super signs is the fact that you could line up a bunch of people behind me that are not Jews and they would say, Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, well, he's my He's my Savior. He's changed my whole life. Many can attest, even right here today, and say, the Lord has given me a great, he's just completely illumined me. This, uh, Jesus changed my life. I don't, I don't see things as I used to. I don't fear death anymore. Uh, it's not just that your life goes better. Sometimes your life may in some ways feel like it gets worse, but you don't have that fear. You don't have that anxiety. You, you have a certain peace that you well, that you really struggle to describe to your friends. It's going to take them, well, it's going to take them doing their own due diligence. And here's what you get. Are you ready for this? And, and it goes on, and it says to open blind eyes. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what that means. It means to have the clear eye. It means not to have the bad eye. What this says, I think what Isaiah is saying is he's going to take people with the bad eye and he's going to give them a clear eye. He's going to open their eyes to the reality. And who is it? It's the nations to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I'm the Lord. It's my name. I'm not going to give my glory to another, my praise to graven images. Behold, former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. So what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah, he says, I know you guys aren't going to understand this, but this is not just about Israel, even some surrounding nations around Israel. This is about the entire globe. The entire globe is going to be impacted by this humble, mounted on a donkey kind of a king that's going to come where I put my spirit on him. You know, and then it says, before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. That really means before they germinate. In other words, I'm giving the seeds now. See, even Jesus' disciples, they couldn't have understood. They thought, oh my gosh, this is going to, you know, the nation is rejecting it. Who's going to accept it? But then when they started seeing Gentiles embrace 
Jesus as their king and the light of the nations. And I, I, I think they really struggled. Maybe a few places uh, uh, among the Pax Romana, you know, the peace of Rome, maybe a few places, but a lot of persecution. But could they have ever envisioned the 21st century, halfway around the globe, La Quinta, California, and all these people gathered to do what? Saying Jesus is the light of the world. I don't think they could have comprehended it. But before it springs forth, God says, I'm going to proclaim it to you. I know you're not going to get it. I know these are new things. I know it's wild. This isn't just about us. This isn't just about the nation of Israel. This is global. And in that light, Jesus refers to two historical events in the history of Israel. First of all, well, who is this character, Jonah? Well, Jonah had been called to go and preach to the Ninevites. That would have been, oh, there's no way he wanted to do that. Why? He wanted them to die. He wanted them to perish. He wanted God to judge the nation. They were a brutal nation, the Ninevites. And so he ran for it. Well, I guess he, he swam for it, I should say. Right? He was on his way to Spain. I spent some, quite a bit of time in Mallorca through the years. That was really right on the trajectory he was headed. And big storm comes. He's, you know, here they toss him over. He's swallowed by a fish. And the fish then coughs him up onto the shore. And then he's headed to Nineveh. Well, let's read the story. Nineveh repents, Jonah chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it, the proclamation which I am going to tell you. And Jonah's like, I don't, haven't I told you I don't want to do that? The last thing in the world is I want to see these people judged. But eventually after the fish incident, well, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Took you three days to get across the city. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I can't imagine that it was too... I probably did it like forty days, uh, it's going to be overthrown. I don't really care what you people do, but I'm just telling you, God told me to tell you. And of course, you know, there's speculation about they, they did worship this kind of fish god. Maybe they thought there was the, the god that coughed up this prophet, and now he was telling them about what the gods really wanted to do. I don't know, but Jesus brings this up in the context of signs. Of course, this is specifically the resurrection, three days in the belly of the whale, but I think people miss the deeper sign here, or not deeper, but at a, a corresponding sign that is so powerful. You can't get any deeper than the sign of the resurrection, trust me. But the powerful sign that the nations are going to go, that's our God too. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's our God. And what happens? Well, the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they call, verse 5, they called a fast, put on sackcloth, the greatest to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from the throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, he issued a proclamation, said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, flock, taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. Both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. This is a real repentant king. Let the men call on God earnestly. Which God? The God of the guy that got coughed up on the shore. His God. Repent to that God. That's the powerful God that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which was in his, hand, in his hands. Who knows? 
God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we won't perish. And when God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, he relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring down upon them, and he didn't do it. And Jesus brings up this story. Yes, it's a sign of the resurrection, and they would understand it with retrospect. But there was something else he was trying to get to. He said, you Jewish leaders have everything. All they had was a sick fish. They had hardly anything. They didn't understand it. But they acted on what they knew. They had a good eye. What is a good eye? A good eye is a critical eye. Yes, absolutely. We're going to discuss that in a minute. It is a crit- but it's an, it's an exploratory eye. Have you done your due diligence? Well, I come my, because my husband, he makes me come, and then we go out to lunch afterwards. Or I come because my parents, you know, I've just got to do that. Or, or I, we... People don't have this firsthand experience of the Creator, and as a result, well, you know, what can you do? And here, here you have an example that Jesus gives, said, you want a sign? Look around. And now this sign is growing. This sign for 2,000 years has grown to a proportion no one could have imagined. There's not a nation, a tribe, nobody that hasn't heard about Jesus. Nobody on the planet. That wasn't true 30 years ago, 40 years ago. It's true today. Everybody, all the nations, and many are bowing the knee. Even in Russia. Yeah, bowing the knee to King Jesus. In Ukraine, South America, you can't go. Siberia, you can go to the ends of the earth, and they're bowing the knee. That, my friends, is a super sign. There are people out there that have the good eye. They've done their work, and many acted on much less light, well, than the Jewish community and their leaders had with Jesus. And that's why Jesus is saying, even those guys are going to rise up at the judgment, and their condemnation will be against you because you had a lot more light than they did. Let me ask you this question. How much light have you had in your life? Some of you grew up in a Christian home, and you've truly never taken this that seriously. Some of you maybe didn't grow up in a Christian home, but boy, you had a neighbor or a friend or somebody. There's a somebody, and, and God show, or, or, or maybe you've had experiences where you know something's out there, but you've never really taken that next step to, could it be Jesus? What did Jesus say about himself? Is it possible that Jesus was the creator of everything, that he was Emmanuel, that he was God with us? Is that even a possibility And yet you stop short of that and you don't act on it and the light you think is in you is darkness. It's not any different than during the time of Jesus. What about this reference to the queen of Sheba? Who was she? Well, first of all, there's all kinds of, there's an Islamic view, there's a Jewish view, there's a Christian view, but the biblical view is pretty pretty short and we're going to look at that briefly in a minute. And it has great application to your life today, something you can walk away and think about today, about your 21st century life. But the Queen of Sheba, did she come from Ethiopia? Did she come from, well, uh, Oregon, one of the early church fathers, believed, in fact, that uh, the Song of Solomon was, in fact, uh, him having a relationship with the Queen of Sheba. We don't get that biblically, but that was kind of an allegorical view he had. And that she, and it says that her skin was dark and that therefore she came maybe from Ethiopia and there was a queen that lived there and maybe they had a son and some of the Ethiopian 
Christians to this day believe that the son then went back and was in Israel, and then they somehow took and confiscated the Ark of the Covenant and brought it back. And some people, even Ethiopian believers, and, and things, think that the Ark of the Covenant is somewhere there in Ethiopia. I think the preponderance of the evidence, I'm not going to argue one way or the other, but I think most historians believe this would have been in southwest Arabia, modern-day Yemen, would have probably been where she was. If you get the lineage, you get Ham, the descendant of Noah, uh, and, then, and then Cush, and then you got Ramah, uh, uh, and, then, and then finally Sheba, and probably that would have been southwest Arabia. Anyway, the point is, we don't know exactly, but here's what we know. There was a queen. She was powerful. She was wealthy. And she said, I got to go see what, with my own two eyes. Let me tell you something. I think one of the reasons Jesus brings that up in the context of light is like, there's not that much information, but I'm hearing some really good reports. I don't want to just hear the reports. I want to see it with my own two eyes. Maybe some of you are there and you say, you know what? I'd like to see it with my own two eyes. And here's my next question. What did she go to see? Most people think she went to see the wisdom she wanted, she wanted to hear, ask him questions. That's part of it, but it's only part of it. You ready? Let's read the story. So the queen of the south, or the queen of Sheba, here's what she does. First Kings chapter 10. This is a, trust me, this is, I hope this gets you excited about what we are called to be. Or again, Solomon and his, his building of the temple. We know, remember Jesus said, tear down this temple and in three days I'll build it up again. And, and something, he says, something greater than Solomon is here. All these things were pointing to Jesus, but in Christ, they're much more amazing. They live in stark relief to the reality of the Creator. Solomon, again, was flawed. Jesus was the unblemished lamb. Her, the way she treated her journey to go and explore who Solomon was is the way anybody should go and treat their journey towards finding out if Jesus, in fact, the king. Are you right? With that in mind, let's read. Verse, chapter 10, verse 1, 1 Kings. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. And I love that. Can I tell you, a lot of people out there, and maybe you've been told this in the past, you ask a difficult question, well, what about this, or what about evolution, or what about evil in the world? About and maybe you're saying, you, just keep your mouth shut, just have faith. And, and, and you were turned down when you asked some legitimate intellectual questions that you have. Can I tell you, we will always be a church. We've got some amazing people in this church. And, and maybe all your questions can't be answered to the degree that you would want them, but we invite deep, philosophical, necessary questions that you may have. Jesus is never afraid of your questions because all all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ, Paul said. All the treasures. So she came to test him with difficult questions, and she came to Jerusalem with a very large retinue, with camels carrying spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. Can I just tell you, you can do that with Jesus. You want to speak to Jesus? Tell him everything. Maybe you were molested as a child. Maybe, you're, maybe, a, maybe a, someone left you, a spouse left you years ago. Maybe you were abused in some way. Maybe, maybe you feel guilt. Maybe you just did something horrific and you thought God would never, well, he'd never invite you into his presence. Well, he knows already. Can I just tell you, you can discuss 
everything with Jesus. She had the opportunity to do that with Solomon. Today, something greater than Solomon is here, you can do it with King Jesus. There's not a thing you can't talk to Jesus about. If you bought into some religious nonsense about, you know, the holier-than-thou crowd, the good people and the bad people, we're all fallen people. We're all in the same boat, and Jesus invites us into his. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king, which he did not explain to her. I would have loved to have been there during that conversation. I wonder what she was asking. I wonder what his questions, how, she, how he answered her questions, maybe about the foundations of the world and who is this God of Israel and what is he like. I mean, I don't know what all they were, but somehow he answered every single question that she had. And when the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, see, this is where people quit reading the story. There's something deeper here, and I hope you get this this morning. It wasn't just the wisdom of Solomon. She saw something else. Now watch what it says. When the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters, their attire, his cupbearers, and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. In other words, she was awestruck. She was blown away. She, was, she, was, she couldn't believe what she had seen. Is there any relevance to that? Why is that in the Bible? Why would she still be in so? So she was impressed with all of his wealth, okay? No, it's more than that. If this is a picture, if Solomon has kind of given us a figurative picture of how we, like the Queen of Sheba, are to approach Queen Jesus, King Jesus, what we need to know and what other people need to see in you, see, now we are that. Who is the house of the Lord now? It's us. We are living stones being built into a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. There are people right here in the Coachella Valley, and what they want, they want to see Jesus. They're curious. They've seen maybe the signs of Church of the Red Door on the Jefferson property. They're thinking, "Mm, maybe one day when that church opens, I'll just stick my head in there one time just to see what that's like. Maybe you're here today or watching, you're like, I'm just curious. I'd like to be Am I going to see glory or am I going to see nonsense? Am I going to see hypocrisy or am I going to see... Well, she was pretty impressed with the house that he had built. What is the house Jesus is building? Christendom, well, you got all kinds of things under Christendom, but there is a house. And those are people that are born again, that live under the, the, the direction of King Jesus. Not perfect people, but people that get up every day and say, I want to please Jesus. That's the house of the Lord. And when people see that, they're awestruck. There's no more spirit in them. I can't keep living like I am. I'm what? See, people come. They, we hear it all the time. We talk about it at our team meetings. People come in. They meet somebody outside. It may just be the look that you have in your eye or a, an extension of your hand or something, some loving act of recognition that people, and, and they sense Jesus in your midst. Can I just tell you that is so vitally important? Why? Not just because we're nice people and we got to make sure that we go out and be nice. It's they're able to see the spirit of Jesus in and through you. You are the house he is building. She was impressed. How about the food at his table? What's the food at Jesus' table? Well, it's right here. It's the elements. I am the bread of life. Jesus is the word. It's his word. I'm the manna that comes down out of heaven. Everybody who eats my flesh, is he talking about that? We're to eat his words, every bit of them. That's what we're, I'm feeding you today. They've got to come in and hear the word. 
And then they've got to say, okay, I've heard the word, but I feel more indicted than anything. And then they drink the cup. And what is the cup? He forgives all my sins through his blood. They cover my sins and I'm all right. I'm good with him now. Between that, that's, what, that's what this is picturing. What was going on at the table? She was impressed by She was awestruck by that. The seating of his servants, the attendance of the waiters, their attire, his cupbearers, all, they see the whole, they see the whole operation. I, I said this in first service, but last week, whether you're aware of it or not, you know, our little security team in here, you know, I sit down with each one of them. I said, are you ready to take a bullet for me? I know I don't say that, but you know, we got people down here, you know, they're, they're, look, we're trying to protect you, right? So we've got a security team and all this. Do you know Mike and Lisa Major, he was the chief of police at Orange County. Uh, for a number of years, and here he is. He treats it just like he did his job. He does it with excellence and, and a real culture of honor and care. And when people see that kind of attention to detail, they go, oh, maybe there's something bigger here that I don't know about. These people seem to really be running a pretty excellent operation. You know, i I be, I got to be, be honest with you. I mean, this is hard, being in the theater and all that, and bombs going, I don't know, whatever's going on next door, and, and our AV team and setting up and tearing down and going and getting all this equipment and setting it up. It's so challenging, but we want to do it with excellence. Why? Because every time somebody watches or somebody walks in here and they're with us, they're looking, could this thing be real? Are these people taking this seriously or are they just going through a religious protocol? Now, when you see this, when you see a culture of honor and you see them, and what about their attire? Well, that could mean physical attire. I mean, obviously, I could wear, you know, jeans with holes in it and stuff. That's just not what our calling is here. I try to, you know, put on uh, my nice $99 suits and look decent before you, you know. But to treat this as something precious, that we're worshiping the Creator, that we honor that. I'm not trying to get you to dress any differently. I'm just saying. But... That's one thing, but there's something even deeper. What are we to be clothed with? We're to be clothed with his righteousness. Do people sense righteousness when they come in here? Did you know there are all kinds of queens of Sheba out there? Walking through, making their way through the valley? Where they maybe their first meeting of Jesus in an earth suit, which could be you, Christ in you, the hope of glory might be just a casual round of golf or a dinner that they got hooked up with somebody and they say, you know, there's something about that person and maybe eventually they make their way here where they're able to to eat and they're able to, and I'm not just talking about the physical elements, I'm talking about the word where they learn the word and they, they understand they can be forgiven of everything that they've ever done. I mean, why is that not good news? No more guilt. Regrets, yes, but guilt, no. He paid the price why is that not good news? Will people come? Will they be floored by that? Will they no longer have any spirit left in them? Will they be so awestruck by us as the, well, the very building of God? Oh, Lord Jesus, let it be the case. Don't let me get in the way. When you serve church at the red door and you give and you're generous and all those kinds of things, do you do your best? You know, I think a lot about, I think about 1 Kings chapter 4 just this whole picture of Solomon, this was before she, uh, Queen of Sheba came, they would bring tribute and they served Solomon all the days of his life. Are you serving King Jesus all the days of your life? Do you bring tribute to him because you just love him so much you want to give him your very best? Sometimes I wonder, uh, I, I look back at my week and I go, did I really give Jesus my best or was this kind of a all about Jeff kind of week? I want to give him my best. He has... 
Verse 24 of 1 Kings 4, Solomon had dominion over everything. Jesus, King Jesus has dominion over everything. Rule over every power, principality, spiritual force. He's got dominion over everything. And guess what happened as a result of that? Well, if you look back at verse 20, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand of the sea. They were eating and drinking. And they were happy. You know, it's amazing what happens when you eat the words of Jesus and you take his atonement for yourself and say, he's going to forgive me and I don't have to feel and wait around in that guilt and all that. Your countenance lifts. You rejoice. You're happy. You're content. And it goes on to say, and they had peace around him and nobody lacked anything. And and God gave Solomon wisdom and great discernment and breadth of mind. That's Jesus. And He surpassed all the wisdom of the sons of the east and of Egypt, and he was wiser than all men, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. See, Jesus' wisdom is now in all the, not just the surrounding nations, all the nations. So when Jesus said something greater than Solomon is here, something greater than the queen of Sheba is here, he wasn't lying. They were just foretastes. Do you ever think of yourself as a sign? If you're not a Jewish person here and, and you're a Gentile and you're, you've become part of the nations and now you are the light of the world, Jesus said it, you're the light of the world. Do you see your life as a signpost toward Jesus? Do you even aspire for your life to be a signpost to Jesus? I do. And it's a hard, it's a hard thing because you realize that you come up so short, or at least I do more than I care to believe or want to know, and yet I get up every day and say, okay, King Jesus, use me, use me. Now, what's so fascinating about the rest of the story before we close is that in, in verse 6, of back to 1 Kings 10, then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. What is following Jesus? You have to have a firsthand experience. You can't just hear reports about it. What I love about the Queen of Sheba, she had very little. She just had a few reports, but she's like, I can't just stay at a distance. Some people say, yeah, I kind of believe in that stuff. I don't know. We'll, we'll, it'll all work out in the end. We'll figure it out when I, you know, I get to be a little older or whatever. No, no, no. She immediately, see, she had the good eye, a critical eye, an exploratory eye. She immediately said, I got to go figure out about this king. Have you done that in your life? Have there been little glimpses of light and yet you've fallen short of really packing up your camels and getting all your stuff and, and, and headed towards the king because you, you just didn't want to hear a report about it. You wanted a firsthand experience. Have you had a firsthand experience with Jesus? If you hadn't, you can. But you're going to have to do some due diligence. You're going to have to ask some hard questions. This is a beautiful picture of how we approach King Jesus. Because something's much greater than Solomon. She was impressed with Solomon, but wait till she meets King Jesus. And then verse 7, Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came with my own eyes. And behold, and I love this, the half was not told me. This is so much better than I could have ever imagined. I mean, I had heard great reports. 
But God, this is so much better. What have you heard about Jesus? What have you heard about what it is to follow Jesus? Have you heard some good reports? Have you seen some people? Have you seen his church? Have you seen the glory of not having to fear death and all these other kinds of things? Have you kind of tasted of it? But then, trust me, the more you plunge into it, you say, this is not, I didn't know anything. This is so much greater. And we're just scratching the surface of what eternity is going to be like. Do you believe that? It's beyond what we could think or imagine, the Bible says. I don't know. That's hard to believe. Act on the light that you have. Do you have a good eye? If you have a good eye, do your exploration. Be critical. Ask the questions. The Queen of Sheba did. And Jesus lifts her up as a model and says, you want a sign? Look at these signs. The Ninevites acted on what they knew. The Queen of Sheba acted on what she knew. Are you acting on what you know? Even if it's just a kernel of faith, will you take the next step? You know, in closing, Acts 17 gives us a beautiful picture of what the good eye really is. Many of you will know the story. It's the Bereans. See, this is not an anti-Semitic rant here. Jews wrote the New Testament. Jews believed in Jesus as the Messiah. And not just the few disciples that were there. Jews all over in diaspora, listen to this. Paul, when he was at Berea, verse 10 of Acts 17, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And these were more noble-minded. Are you noble-minded when you think about Jesus? They were much more noble-minded, those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They are lauded as people that we ought to follow. Why are you a Christian? Oh, my grandma was a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Eh, you know, I can kind of network and I do a little business there. Why are you a Christian? Well, you know, I don't know. I don't have that many friends. I seem to have some friends down there. Are you examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things can be? So what does the Bible say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Have a personal experience with the risen Jesus. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men, and when the Jews of Thessalonica find out that the Word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea, they came as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds, the very ones with the bad eye. The light they thought was in them was abject darkness. So in closing, what was Solomon? He was a flawed man, but he was a, he was a figurative type of... And when Jesus says, look at the queen of Sheba, look at it. There's something for us to learn right here. Will we, be a, will we have something that Solomon had? Will we have the right attire? Will we be, will, will we be walking in righteousness or are we just going to be a bunch of hypocrites? Will we have a loving and compassionate honor, culture of honor? Will we decide to do things with great excellence and generosity and care for all the different organizations we're involved here. Are we going to be a light in this valley? We're going to do it with excellence. I hope we eventually, I hope we build a beautiful something so people can come and go, they care, they really care, and it'll be a lighthouse in this valley. I, I hope all that happens. You're a sign. Do you see yourself as a sign? Solomon, well, he was pointing in the direction, but Jesus was the fulfillment. Solomon, ah, phenom phenomenal. 
You were right to think highly of Solomon, but something greater, well, something greater than Solomon is here. Queen of Sheba, that was amazing. She got on her camel. She went, well, what a long journey at risk of gosh knows what and being waylaid on the way, but she just had to see it for herself. Well, people say, I want to see it for myself and come into our midst and go, I didn't know the half of it. Will, they ha- will that happen with church at the red door? If it doesn't, I don't want to be part of it. I want people to come into our midst and see Jesus, not see me, not see, see Jesus lived out in our community. When we do that, we're going to be a powerful church. It's going to be amazing. It's what gets me up in the morning. It's what gets, I hope it's what get. I hope it gets all of us up in the morning. So in closing, was Jesus greater? Yes. How many signs have you seen? How many times have you received some light and then, well, maybe rejected it or not acted on it? What is the Lord doing in your life? He said, come on, there's a little light here. Just take the next step, whatever it is. Maybe not just your entrance into the kingdom, but for you to continue in the kingdom. What is it in you? What will it be that you'll act on? Will you be like the Queen of Sheba? Travel across the, from the ends of the earth. Trust me, church, if we're that kind of church, thousands of people are going to come to know Jesus over the coming years. I'm convinced of that with all my heart. But it takes, it takes a community. It doesn't just take a little bit of bread feeding. It doesn't just take, it takes a community. It takes righteous attire, takes all the cupbearers. You say, well, I'm just a business guy, or I'm just a retiree who came out here to, you know, play a little golf or do a little something. Can I tell you, you do it with excellence, and you do it with a view that you are a signpost, and this church will grow. People will come to know Jesus. And when that happens, ah, Jesus gets the glory, 